1: Today's episode of the Fee for Service podcast special guest, Dr. Lou Graham, sponsored by Kettenbach Dental. Kettenbach has a new product. Imagine a product that covers every cementation protocol you need and also is a core buildup. It's a hydrophilic adhesive cement and a hydrophobic core buildup. It's called Vesalis Semcore. Try it today, Kettenbach, USA. Call 877-532-2123 or visit Kettenbach, K-E-T-T-E-N-B-A-C-H-dent.us. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Thank you.
0: My name is Drew Burns, and I'm a part of a small group of dentists who believe something crazy. We believe that the standard of care is just not good enough. We demand the best of ourselves and the best for our patients. We believe that the best way, no, the only way to practice dentistry is on our own terms. If you ask the dental consultants or the corporate CEOs, they tell you that what we're doing isn't smart, that fee-for-service dentistry is dead, and that the golden age of dentistry is over. Yet, while others focus on profits first, we focus on the patient first. And yet, our offices are some of the most profitable in the entire country because we invest in ourselves and we are doing things right. It's our name on the door and it's our reputation on the line. My name is Drew Burns and I am a fee-for-service dentist. This is the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast and these are our stories. Welcome
1: to the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast. Today's a special day. I have a very good friend of mine who I met through a good friend of ours on the podcast, Ron Kittner who's a superstar in the podcast world. You know, he's one of our favorite interviews. He introduced me to Dr. Lewis Graham, who actually came and lectured in our area, in our Sixth district upstate dental New York society and talked about, you know, full disclosure. He talked about uh, everything. And the one thing he mentioned was membership plan to which we just copied everything they did and we put it in as soon as possible. So his, Knowledge and expertise is very broad. I'm gonna give you a quick little synopsis. He's a graduate of Emory Dental School, 1982, University of Chicago, did his GPR after that. Then he became the residency director at the University of Chicago. He's built five private offices for the University of Chicago, which will be interesting to hear how that came about. And then they bought them back into private service. He's been teaching for 25 years. He's the founder and president of Catapult Education. He currently has two offices in the same building. It's kind of cute because they're on the same floor. He just has to to leave and walk down the hall because he couldn't get space next to each other. So we'll hear a story about that. So please welcome our good friend, Louis. Lou, how are we doing? Hey, buddy. Great to see you, Sonny. Thank you for the invite. Good to see you. Now, fortunately, this is all, audio so nobody has yep. space at all so there's great be lucky you know so let's let's get started man let's start right at the bare bones why dentistry and what was your background growing up
2: uh why dentistry so it's really interesting we for many of your listeners they weren't even born when <laughs> when, when when you and i you know you were shooting hoops and uh i was just basically getting in trouble, but. I would say, why dentistry? So it's, I'm at Emory College. It's in the late mid to late 70s. And I interned, I was a poli-sci pre-med dual major, thought I'd either be in medicine or law. And ultimately, clerked, you know, did an internship at a law firm, hated it. Did a two-year internship at a hospital, hated it. And back in the day, I'm just trying. I had no engineering concept of what to do, and so one day I'm hanging out with four buddies, and we all decided to go to dental school. And uh, I swear to God, that's how I got into dentistry. It, there is purely, it was, it, it was literally spur of the moment. Let's all apply
1: to dental school. So, so what's your background? Where, where do you where do you come from? What are your What are your folks involved in? What? Um... Yeah. Interesting. So I was born in Chicago
2: and at the age of six, dad moved us because he got a a bigger corporate position in New York City. So I really grew up on Long Island, went to high school on Long Island and my parents stayed there until I had already relocated to Chicago and had my first born in 1992 And mom and dad just felt like coming back to Chicago.
0: The future of fee-for-service dentistry is based in membership patients. If you need help starting your membership plan, or if your plan is too big for your team to manage, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com to set up your free membership growth solution demo with our team.
2: So it was kind of a reunion with them coming back to Chicago. And I think really it's important because my dad's my mentor. My dad at 62 was already retired in a buyout and formed a second and another company at 62 with an Egyptian partner, very successful man. And my dad ran that, co-ran it, and built a, a monster in the carpeting industry and retired at 75. So I have legs to continue doing my life long,
1: long, long ahead, baby. You got legs and you got jeans with a G, <laughs> exactly. So, so talk a little bit because that it's always fascinating to hear. Like, okay, what what was the conversation around the dinner table? Obviously, he has an entrepreneurial spirit. Would you agree? A hundred percent, right? So, what were some of the conversations? Like Howard Cran talks about that. Like his dad was a Sonic, you know, had Sonic drive-throughs. Right. And, you know, that was you know the 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 business model was all about franchises, and they they would talk about. You know demographics at the dinner table and you know car counts. What was some of the environment growing up? So it's it's
2: a you know, Sonny. It's it's probably the most fascinating question that nobody's ever asked me on a podcast. So thank you, thank you. Yeah, I mean that Um, because I think it dives deep into who you're interviewing. Because we are products of our parents. My dad lost his dad when he was twelve. Was growing up in the depression. Mm-hmm. And when my dad got out and out of the army in World War II late, you know, he he had really little guidance in a sense. So he and his best friend ended up like working as salespeople. And they needed to make a living. And they went that way. And my dad really worked for companies his entire life until he was 62. And the mentoring came that my dad, when I was even as a teenager, late teens, and as going through college, my dad looked at me and said, I just want you to know, you're so entrepreneurial, you should never work for anybody. You really have to do this on your own. And my dad's greatest success was when he did it on his own and didn't work for corporate America or a corporation, sure. and he did really well working for a corporation. But those were the kind of conversations that always guided me to be entrepreneurial, and you know, and in the same regard, I started catapult in teaching because my dad said, "Don't look to things you don't know. You know dentistry." Continue maximizing your growth in dentistry. And those words are why you and I are having a podcast
1: today. continue maximizing your growth in dentistry, just to repeat it. Yeah. Yeah. That's fabulous. It it is true. Like I I looked to my father, my dad worked at IBM and he was in the military. He ran away. He he was 18 years old, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, that was one of the things he always talked to me about. He says, you really want to be your own boss. If you go down the toilet, you really want to have your hand on the flusher, you know? So, and that's a, that's, but that honestly, that's a burden. Some folks just don't have the DNA to do that. You know, they like that comfort of like your dad, like you said, was very successful in corporate. So he had all the protection around him, like the little safety nets. And then, you know, his advice and then his his subsequent successes were all about, you don't need the safety nets and that's a great belief in you. Yeah,
2: and, and and I think we'll get into the conversation because, dentists, we're faced with these challenges today. You're faced with, with work ethic. I mean, Sonny, let's be serious. When you and I both graduated, our early years, man, I was working 50, 60 hours. I would do anything Monday through Saturday. to take Sundays off. No vacations initially, paying off my school debt. Yeah. I mean – I mean, and I'm not going to be critical because I have a number of associates, but work ethic today and paying off this debt, I think I'm seeing huge changes in the next generations following us, and and that will
1: lead to discussions today, bro. There is an entire series of podcasts that we can do on the different generations. In fact, we were talking about, we just did our uh our strategic planning in our office and it was interesting because we brought in a couple of people that have elevated in their positions and status with us and what they saw as threats i was like are you kidding me and one of them was the generational changes and yeah you know and it was fabulous and they've been reading up a lot on the difference, and I see it a little bit with my kids, although I think they do have a very good work ethic, but I, I do see the environment of, okay, we have unlimited time off. My daughter told me about that. And I was like, they're giving you unlimited time off? Explain that to me. She's right. no dad, it's pretty standard. And I was like, wow. you know, I couldn't even imagine trying to run an office if you just had unlimited time off. I mean, how could you schedule an appointment when that ah, person decided they're not coming today? But you're very, very, very true. So let's get into it. So then you go into the GPR. In dental school, did you have any vibes to, to specialize on?
2: No. No, if anything, I just love blood. So I anything would be more more surgery. Yeah. Absolute, absolutely more surgery
1: than anything else. So you had affinity towards that. So then when you got into GPR, did you sort of gravitate more to the surgery side? To the point I got in trouble, yes.
2: <laughs> to, to the point where I was definitely rambunctious. And uh, I mean, I never did anything improper, but w- we'll just say I absolutely loved being in the emergency room at the in, on the south side of Chicago and working alongside an oral surgery group at the university. It was a ton of surgery.
1: Now now talk about that, because then you set up these private offices, and you said you work with the medicine. Talk a little bit about that whole process.
2: So right. So in the 80s, the university came, University of Chicago came to me and so I was the director of dentistry in the department of surgery. And then the university came to me and said, we want to build off-site dental. Medical facilities to grow the referral program to the hospital. So they wanted to build a hospital, but they wanted referral centers. So I built my first practice in Hyde Park, then a second in Chicago, then three in suburbs. And basically, the university was just, I was an employee. I mean, it was a great relationship with benefits, but I built these for the University of Chicago Hospital. And they basically, we ran them for at least, I'd say, 15,
1: 12 to 15 years. So what was the concept, though? You, you said there was, a, when we were talking on right. there, what was, what was the concept of how you were sentenced? So the, the concept was that if, if we had new patients in
2: our dental office, first question is, do you, have a, do you have a physician? They didn't have a physician. They were immediately referred to my medical partners in the same building like we had 10,000 square feet at these facilities. So we would do cross referrals. Medical then would refer us all these new patients, who's your dentist or you're new to town, go to the university dental group. So we were cross building. Then the medical group were a bunch of GPs and then specialists would rotate through. And the whole idea was all the surgeries were then referred to the University of Chicago. And that's where, honestly, the big money is, is in hospital and, you know, surgical procedures and whatever. So we were like the outpatient
1: and the university was the inpatient. So when you set these up, you set up a dental medical office, you set both parts up? No, I set each
2: dental office had like five ops. It was a separate entity, but connected. But we had like a hallway connecting us to the medical facility.
1: So there was somebody that that was you on the medical side, what? exactly. Okay, yeah, well that's pretty that's pretty cool. Now you're already learning how to you know integrate network and everything else. You know on that Absolutely. on that next level too, not just as a clinician. You're talking about an administration person, so you've yep. already got the organization. No wonder why catapults roll You got the organizational skills early. God bless yeah. you, man. All right, so so then. These things are going. There's five of them. And then you said that they were brought or bought back into private. Talk about that. What was that? So, so this was crazy. So the
2: university w- said, you know what? We're going to close these down. And close, okay, them? They're, close them. They wanted to go in another direction, which is fine. So my partners <clears throat> and I decided at the time, okay, we wanted to buy two of them, of the five, they were the biggest ones, and we would just sell off the others. And the doctors, the dentists working in those, they just bought them out, we got them a great deal. My partners and I, they would not sell the two biggest practices to us. And the reason was, The university felt that if we sold off these offices to the dentists, these big offices then other specialists would want to buy their offices from the university. They said, this is a bad idea. So they actually sold our office to a DSO. And this DSO, I'm not going to mention their names. I don't want to get in trouble. Um, I became the lead education director and maybe like, I wouldn't say the lead, maybe the lead dentist, but the DSO had dental owners, but, and they had 20 offices at the time and they should have killed it. They didn't kill it. And within a year, we, my partners and I, we bought our practices back from the DSO because we didn't like the way philosophically they were running it. And the best was we bought it. The the DSO bought it at a bargain price much cheaper than we offered the university. So we then purchased it from the DSO at their purchase price and we we were off and
1: running. So I'm gonna guess since they wanted to get out and move in a different direction, let's talk about the three that went with it like a fire sale for those other three. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because when they want to get out, when a person has decided out, they want out. Right? I should have kept
2: I should have kept them if I look back but they were way out in the suburbs and that meant I wasn't in I didn't want to run dental offices 20 miles away.
1: Yeah, so okay, so so now so how long did you work for the DSO? 1 year. They, I could only handle 1 year. Do, do you want to talk about that horror story
2: at all? You know, It was early on with DSOs. They were learning it. Um, I think they had a lot of really good people behind it. Mm -hmm. I met my future wife there, uh, which is another story, another type, private cocktails. But but I just think they were – they just didn't understand what they had. And so much of it was based on production, production, production. And I'm an ethic, I'm all about teaching ethics. I'm all about keeping teeth to their 75th and 80th birthday, not just drilling enamel away. And, and, and early DSOs were just too aggressive. And, and we just had philosophical differences. So we, it was just philosophical.
1: And so, so were they telling, like, here's what I'm picturing now. A non-dentist is telling a dentist what to treat. Yeah,
2: look, there's so many DSOs out there today that are great, and there's so many that it's all about production. And this was just way too much production. And look, I think production, look, I think we can all be successful doing the right thing than just thinking I've got a patient and they need this amount of work done when it may not be necessary. That goes against
1: my, I just can't practice that way. Right. Okay. So now when, when you're, when you're getting out of that, your purchase of the DSO, was it a long negotiation or how, how did they surrender that? Or are they in financial trouble? How did they want to get out of that? Cause they're, they're most DSOs are growth, What what happened? Right. So
2: I think, you know, me and, uh, I, I just, I just basically just my partners and I, there were two other, we were all buddies in this. We weren't dicks. We were just like, we can't stay here. So either we're just going to leave and open our own practices and then good luck on trying to keep this practice. I didn't, I don't believe we had any restrictions. So it, it just behooved them to sell it and just continue growing. And they continued to grow, but it didn't work. And they ended up selling to another DSO. So basically... They just realized they had to have Lou out and his partners. And we just bought him out. It literally was three to four months and we were gone.
1: It's not a bad negotiation, three, four months in that scenario, what you're talking about.
2: I know. You know why? But they didn't. I was a headache. My partners, we were all a headache to them because we wanted to do it differently. So they just figured, you know, we got 20, 30 other offices, you know, good luck, Lou. And that's mm-hmm. what it was. And, and it gets into you. We were fee-for-service offices. We had two
1: fee-for-service offices that we bought back. There you go. All right. So let's, talk, let's go right into that then. So talk about, uh, talk about the fee-for-service model. So how long were you practicing as fee-for-service practice? So I think we bought our practices back, I don't know, let's call it
2: year 2000. mm mm-hmm. And both, my, both of our practices were fee-for-service. And then the downtown office catered much more to people working downtown. <clears throat> in my Hyde Park facility, which is a, in a community based in the same community with the University of Chicago Hospital, we were dealing with <clears throat> a lot of the university employees, <clears throat> uh, which was the school and the hospital and everything else. And then a lot of families in the area. <clears throat> so fee-for-service, two different uh, clientels. Then the university dropped their private dental insurance and went to MetLife. First, they first went to First Commonwealth. And then they and at First Commonwealth, that was a disaster. It was the worst PPO in the worst. And we couldn't take it. And so we had a practice of multiple thousands of patients at that time. And the University of Chicago said, you have to take this PPO to be a network. And it was more than a 50% discount on our fees. We sent a letter out. I don't even think we had email at the time. Maybe we did. We sent a letter out. and We lost 900 patients in six months. 900, Sonny. Mm-hmm. And it hurt. And many started drifting back, many, not all. And then the university went to MetLife and that was a crappy policy. And again, we didn't join it initially. And we saw a lot of our patients again leave. So we went through this PPO exit twice with patients and we, we struggled. I mean, I'm not going to say every year was the best because we lost patients and we had to then market for new patients in a sense because they were just always a funnel from the University of Chicago because we had the best reputation. But that's what we struggle with in dentistry. You can be a great office and once all of a sudden of some, your your patient's insurance changes, then how does the office survive?
1: Okay, so when did you, you, you went in-network with MetLife then, or what did you do? Right, I. so what happened was,
2: based on my career, I never went in-network. I had, I was averaging basically, I'd say, 15 new patient referrals just to me personally, so I was always out of network. I would say when we brought on associates, my specialists were never in network. So when we bring in new dentists, younger dentists in our group, we would let them see MetLife patients. And I would say maybe 40% of their time to 50% of their time, because we were just getting a tremendous influx of university people and we would limit how many MetLife patients they would see so there would be some kind of balance with fee-for-service.
1: How did you do that internally? How did you do that with billing? So let's say you're seeing Mrs. Smith. Yeah. Mrs. Smith's son works at the the hospital, and he's on insurance and she's not. So now they're paying two different fees for same things. Yes.
2: So her son could pass on seeing me and would see my associate. That's correct. If he did not want to see me out of network, and that happened a lot, then the the challenge was, would patients of mine leave me to go see one of my associates in the network? And I would say about 10% of my patients left me to see my associates in network, about 10%. But I was so busy, thankfully, I would then see more new patients who weren't working at the University of Chicago or they didn't care about being in network. And that's how I continued. And that tied into
1: why we built our in-office dental plan. Okay, so, so let me ask you this. Was there, a, there had to be a, dis, a huge disparity in what your incomes are coming in because if you're working at one fee schedule and they're working at a reduced fee schedule, right? Yes. Was that, was that as a uh, kind of as a method for that new doctor to get patients? Yes, twofold.
2: One is the more they referred to my specialist for fee-for-service, that was great. So my specialist, and honestly, Sonny, when you're doing, you know, endo, oral surgery, whizzies, implants, all fee-for-service, it was great. and some of the patients would go see an oral surgeon in network. Nobody in our community was in network, meaning in our area. So they'd have to go downtown or somewhere further away. So we really built some very successful specialty practices that are
1: still out of network today. They never went in network. So let's let's fill fill our listeners in because you and I discussed it, but what, What specialists were in your practice? What what came in your practice?
2: Ortho, perio. So so this is how it worked. Periodontist comes in one day a month. Periodontist was doing all our periosurgeries and implant placements. Oral surgeon would come in on Saturdays, work two Saturdays a month out of four chairs, And just do basically whizzies, some implants, and whatever other surgeries. Endodontist, day a week, doing mostly molar endo, because a lot of the GPs in our practice were doing other endo. Microscope, obviously, for the endodontist. And all out of network. And my orthodontist would come in one day a week, take four of our nine chairs, and he would have his own day one day a week that's how it worked in our practice around 2017
1: 18 yes so the name name of your practice is what university university dental professionals okay udp so now let me ask you this as a business question if you're how how does it it had to be there had to be some cross wires so if you're sending in bills to i don't know insurance a you're not a in. You're not a provider in, but another provider in your office is, and it's all sent under UDP. Are you set up so that each doctor is an independent entity or a business? I mean, how, how do you? How does that work? So it's it's again a great question. All my doctors
2: in my practice are independent entities, but we bill under the UDP. So. For example, for you to be in-network, you have to go through credentialing. And Mm -hmm. all my GPs who are in whatever network have to be credentialed. They're credentialed to be in those networks.
1: My specialists and myself were not credentialed. We're out of network. So when you send a statement into your insert, well, first of all, let me ask you this in terms of your billing, just so I'm clear. Do you collect your fee up front and then insurance goes to the patient? Or do you collect from the insurance their part and the patient makes their copay? So, great question.
2: Initially, we collected full fee on all our insurance patients from our patients. All of our patients would pay up front. Okay. What we kept finding, and we have financing, we have everything that everybody else has. But patients don't want to pay high interest, I get all that. So with, with, with what we do now is that if a patient gets a bill for procedures that is over $500, they have to pay $500 down and then we wait for the remainder from the insurance company because we found patients didn't want to finance. This is in our practice. And so, but just coming out of pocket for a $3,000 procedure, that was a lot for them to pay. And I understand that, I'm very respectful. So we do a $500 no matter what payment, and then we bill the rest of the insurance company. But for hygiene visits and all the routine stuff, they pay out of pocket, and then those bills, their payment goes directly to them.
1: Okay. So in those scenarios, did the insurance company ever botch it? Oh, of course. And it had to be a tremendous headache for your administration, your business administration. They didn't want to do it, but we also saw far
2: more treatment plan acceptance when all the patient had to do was a $500 copay. So, Openly, let's just talk. You do two implants on two surgical implants placement. In our practice, let's call it $4,000. I don't want the patient to say, I want to do one implant at a time. I don't have the money or I don't want to finance. So we would take the $500 out, bill them. And if they had a residual balance of, let's say, $1,000, I know you'll shoot me for this. A lot of times, I'd say, "Okay, you'll just pay me the residual over two months. I'm not charging them interest, so I'm getting in, I'm getting their initial deposit, the insurance money, and then the patient would pay me
1: the remainder."
2: And that was not in every case, but for the patients who couldn't afford it all at one time.
1: Lou, I'm not going to shoot you. We do something very similar and probably worse. So uh, uh, you know, but I, I'm just I'm just looking at it from if I'm a, if I'm running a business, yeah and i'm billing yeah that those lines have to get crossed from the insurance side they got to keep track of okay so udp has a right a tax identification number yes and then you have a provider code and sometimes the person on the other end may not correlate the two right so do they pay for example You provide that same service and your associate provides that same service. Are the, are the reimbursements different because one's in network and one's out? Totally different. Okay. So you can see that you can see the mess up, right? So if they send it and now you're front, you really, you really got to be dialed into that. Right. So I have a, I have a, you know,
2: my, my insurance coordinator, you know, you're obviously running a multi-million dollar practice. We have one insurance coordinator who's been doing this for 20 years. Need I say more? I'm not. If she leaves my practice, I'm crying. <laughs> That's the reality, baby. I know. No, I'm I'm crying. So, like she just became a grandmother and her granddaughters in Tennessee, and I'm like. Can you just give me a few more years and we'll train somebody exactly. So when she gives me a year notice, we're going to bring somebody and train them.
1: Yeah. You're going to buy a house. We're going to buy a house in Chicago. And you're going to move that family from Tennessee to Chicago. I, <laughs> yeah,
2: you've been a part of those conversations.
1: <laughs> I I know. Worn, I've worn those shoes a few times. So yeah. That's, that's fascinating. So, uh, <laughs> So um, talk a little bit then about how that's, how that's evolved. Let, no, let's talk about, before we get to that part, let's talk about, give us an idea of what your team looks like because you have a specific insurance coordinator, which, by the way, we did a couple of years ago. We set up an insurance, two, two people that did insurance for us, and uh, it's it's a godsend, you know? Yeah. So what, what are some of your team look like and titles and responsibilities. Okay. And we've evolved. So let's
2: just say our practice has always been at a certain level of whatever income. And I would say at our peak, we would have one office manager and at, and at our peak, we had four front team
1: members, including our insurance billing person. And I okay, say seven. So, yeah. so we'll say an insurance billing, and then you had three business administrators. And right? an office manager. So that's five people up front. Yes. And very clear. Now, what, what was the role? And, and if you don't mind, because I want to dig into this a little yeah. bit, because it's come up often, and a lot of people determine that they're receptionists, is now their office manager. And to me, those are two tremendously different roles. What does your office manager, what's their responsibility? She really runs the practice. So she's behind all the
2: financials. She pulls all the numbers together every week for us. She's looking at all the data, all the analytics. We were on Dental Intel, and we're looking at all the analytics of the practice. That's her role paying the bills, understanding all the billing processes, overseeing all the ordering. We have a lead assistant doing the ordering. She's making sure all of that is coordinating and going smoothly. Does she hire and
1: fire? Absolutely hires and fires. Okay, so she has HR responsibilities? Absolutely has HR responsibilities. Review the HR, the counts, counts payable or no? Absolutely, accounts payable. Accounts payable. So accounts receivable. She's yes, right. So uh, the business administration uh, leader. So she's making sure that the folks at the front are doing what they're supposed to do in terms of collecting and following through policies. Right. How about insurance Absolutely. aging? Is she doing insurance aging reports? Yes. Yes. So she's collecting. So she got about eight or eight or nine hats that she's wearing. Oh, and and she's coordinating
2: all the assistants and making sure the assistants are doing what they're supposed to be doing. She's coordinating the schedules. I mean, doctors in doctors
1: off. I mean, I think she's got the hardest job in the world. Well, there's no question. If, if she's doing all that, because yeah. you're now talking now the clinical part. So you don't really have like a clinical director. No. Okay. So you don't have like a, you know, with your hygienists and with your, uh, assistants, right? So you don't have kind of a lead assistant or lead hygienist who's responsible? I do. The- I have mm-hmm. a lead hygienist
2: and a lead assistant.
1: So do they run the schedules or they, apparently they don't the office sort of does?
2: The assistant lead assistant runs the scheduling for the assistants and all that. Um, I have another assistant who does all the ordering. I've tried to break it down. Sure. Uh, lead hygienist is the one who will communicate with me about what's working, what's not, what we need to be focusing on. Okay. What, and they report to me and the office manager.
1: Okay, so let's also say, you, you said off air, so you have four GPs as well, correct? Yes. And one's full-time? So let me just say
2: this before we get there. At my maximum, we had a total of five people at the front, including, we'll say my office manager and four people at front. So a number of years ago, Sonny, when we incorporated Weave into our practice, we basically replaced one of our four people. We figured out how to use Weave. And when one of my front team members quit, um, no, she actually moved. We never replaced her. We just optimized the Weave of what Weave was back then. I mean, Uh Uh we didn't have to do the calling, the confirming, all that stuff was gone. And I think offices today, which we'll get to, technologies continue to help us run more efficiently. So now I'm down to three front team members, same volume, and an office manager, and that's all I need.
1: And those three front office people also includes your insurance coordinator. Yes. So you're really down to two. I know. I know. Okay, so talk about your team then the clinical team. How many how – many, so if there's four GPs, one's full-time, and then there's three that are part-time, What, what give me a ballpark what they do part-time. So my full – so the way I – one of my buddies, his name is Tony Tomorrow, who
2: you know. No Tony. He, yeah, he retired, and basically I think his wife after two weeks said, now what are you going to do? So Tony so calls me – retired Right. So Tony comes in every two weeks, every three weeks. He lived with Aaron and I, and since whatever, he's been great. It's great friendship. So he's in like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. He does our full mouth rehabs, and he's just a great dentist, a lot of neuromuscular. Our other dentists are all much younger. And so Tony and I continue to mentor them and also mentor them in a way that, okay, what do you want? What do you enjoy? Like you asked me, what did I enjoy my GPR? So my full-time dentist, she does a lot of Invisalign, a lot of sleep, and she's just learned how to place implants. And with surgical guides, which are mandatory in my practice, I just think that's what she wants to do. My next associate, who will be full-time, will also expand in similar areas. And my third associate will probably expand more into cosmetics and much more into veneers and the cosmetic side. So I'm hoping each team, each doctor can kind of carve out what they want to do and highlight that. So when new patients call, we can kind of direct these new patients and, and or openly, we cross refer to each other. So I refer a lot of the Invisalign now to my associates, and the same with sleep. And I think each we have to offer
1: all of these. I don't want to refer out anything in my practice. So let me ask you this: Is there is there going to be? There's got to be at some point, especially if you're talking cosmetic. There's got to be a push for them to start to get out of network. No? Oh, absolutely. There's
2: there's no doubt about it there will be an absolute push to get out of there's no doubt about it but again we hired an insurance negotiating company and and over the last two years they've really raised our fees so high because the university of chicago wants to keep referring to us so i i would just say that once they go full cosmetic which i don't think anybody will But their goal is obviously to see less and less, you know, insurance patients. But we're reimbursed now at a very respectable rate that I can live with it as they keep sending new patients and all the specialty work is out of network.
1: Okay. So now is there a a succession plan? Like, do you have, like, any of these people going to become partners, you know, to to move in to that that level? So –
2: Truth be told, I am in the midst of a succession plan right now with a DPO that you could call a DSO. And you don't even know this. So, Uh Uh-oh, breaking news. I got to put that on the header. Well, so I meet this company indirectly. One of my close friends, her name is Christine, began – asked me would I talk to this company just to hear if this was a good job opportunity for her. When they told me their philosophical approach that dentists keep running their own practices, they don't change their names. There's no change in anything they're doing except these companies come in and run your practice, business management, no change in personnel, 96% retention. Man. I, the one thing that is exhausting to me is running the business, Sonny. I mean, it's it's exhausting to you, and it's exhausting to me. Let me tell you, and you got to agree, and I'm not going to interview you, I love being a freaking <laughs> dentist. I love being a dentist. I don't love running the practice. It was so easy in the 80s, and now it's just too much. And openly, that's why... I really would love to have a managing group help run my practice.
1: Okay. And and these and and I, I don't know it's, it's you just told me. I'm assuming that your docs are aware of all this stuff that's happening.
2: There they are a hundred percent supportive mm-hmm. of this. Nothing changes, their percentages don't change,
1: nothing changes at all for them. Okay. So now do you do you, you, you said but you have you're running one practice just in two different physical locations in the same yes. building, right? So you don't you're not managing multiple offices. You're not as stupid as I am, so you're not doing that, right? I want to I want to say I'm not as stupid as you are. All right, good. Thank you. I thought so. So we'll just put me at the top of the stupid level, and you're, you're 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 in the good spot. So so let's talk now, as you see moving forward. Let's talk some of the trends. What do you see some of the trends? Because I know you're very involved in the educational component with Catapult, which, by the way, is a phenomenal group. Full disclosure, I am a product evaluator. And I know you guys have asked me about doing the speaking part. You know what I'm saying (laughs) saying right now. I'm saying I'm good with the evaluation thing. But um, talk a little bit about things that you see that you've incorporated You've mentioned technology multiple times. There's no question that technology used the proper way should make our lives a better, higher quality and not just a fun toy right? like our phones become for some people. So talk a little bit about that technology that you've incorporated and what you can see down the road. So I would
2: say to start, that I think technology, Sonny, is our friend. Yes, it's exhausting when technology goes sour in a day. It's, I think technology is our friend. I think dentistry, and I know how you practice, Sonny, and, and, and I think we're bro to bro. We, sit, we practice very similar. We're patient-focused, not production-focused. Mm-hmm. But when you're patient focused, you have to be more efficient every day, you have to be.
1: So what, what do what, I think? What, But you know, on the other hand, why wouldn't you want to be, do you know what I mean? Like, why, why, why wouldn't you, I mean, I get it. You want to spend time. There's nothing wrong with the time and the quality of the time. But when you're working, there's nothing wrong with being, I mean, that's my answer. Why wouldn't you? you know? But anyway, sorry. Go ahead. No, I agree. But I would
2: just say when I bring in young doctors who've worked in DSOs and their motivation is $5,000 a day of production, no matter what, they've lost the focus of openly of the trust of a patient. They're just there to produce. And then really? you could be... I'm sorry. You can work on a, a Ford.
1: You know. You know. Yeah, they line. put the cart the cart before the horse. Yeah. And it's now just, a, it's just I I I joke about it. it's a production line. Roll them in, roll them out. I right. don't care what the name of the person is. All you care about is a tooth and the surface. And, and, right. Yeah. And 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 I know that based on how you are.
2: That's why we agree so much. So I think technology. Getting back to technology, it has to make us no matter what more efficient and more predictable at what we do. So what do I mean by that? What kind of technologies? So seven, eight years ago, maybe nine years ago, I'm at a cone beam course and I'm watching a doctor present cone beams. And what's the difference between a cone beam and 2D? And I realized how much I was missing yeah, And, and the Scary. more I miss, the more failures I have, because if you can't see what you're treating, then you're going to have more failures. Mm-hmm. So one of the technologies I would absolutely tell you is we don't, I haven't taken a full mouth series of x-rays in at least seven years. Standard in my practice is a 10 by eight or a nine by 11 beam for a new patient or every five years to seven years on a patient with vertical bite wings, occasional periapicals. So in my new patient exam today, it's a cone beam, vertical bite wings, and we scan them digitally. Why? We scan them digitally, now we have a record. It's like a model, but we have a record. And then of course, we'll use an intraoral camera. You know, we just got the new Shofu cameras they are just great, they're intraorals, and the iCam. And that's my initial exam. My recall exams have the same technologies. And then we're using carry view and spectra because we can identify carries at different rates or monitor them. And I think this is where technologies all have to blend in for better better diagnostics. And better diagnostics lead, leads, leads, to, leads to better treatment plans and longer term success. And I think those technologies are, are huge in our practice. I'll pause if you want to ask questions because I got many others I can't wait to share.
1: Yeah. So I'm saying those are things that you've incorporated, right? Are you going to talk yeah. more about what you've incorporated or more things that you see you're going to incorporate? So
2: that's what I've incorporated 100%. 100%. Those are
1: standard in my practice. Yeah. Those are the things that once you put them in, you cannot go backwards. It's like oh. for us, when we put in our in-house lab, yeah, I couldn't practice without it. Like I, not, right. I couldn't. So anyway, go ahead. Right, exactly. Um, and it changes
2: your efficiencies with like your in-house lab. Look how more efficient you are as an office. And that's going to continue. Like we now do 3D printing. And if we can now do 3D printing with where that's going, you're gonna be able to do 3D printing with certain types of composites and certain types of temporaries. And that also is, it's not a huge investment. It's really now, but these are time-saving things. And then I look at time-saving technologies that are coming. Oh my God, I mean, like on our trip to Israel, Every dentist, when he, he or she preps a tooth, imagine now, instead of packing cord or lasering, now all you do is scan a tooth that reads through blood and tissue. That's a home run technology coming within the next 18 months. Another home run technology is from the same company. Instead of probing and doing, you know, counting off your numbers, It's a perioprobe that three-dimensionally images literally the bone in the pocket. And and as you're pressing, ergodynamically, it measures how much you're pressing to give you a read. And the the accuracy is so phenomenal, and it relates it right to your chart. So I think periodontal probing will change, and that's not going to be an expensive technology, nor will the scanning. I think the more our procedures become less subjective and more objective and predictable, I see those as huge, huge trends in dentistry. Mm-hmm. Like I'll give you another Sonny, we just saw. And I'm meeting the company in two weeks. <clears throat> okay, so you're doing you're doing veneers and you have the AECD and they are a great organization. But I, I'm gonna tell you <clears throat> You kind of get this fear factor and the fear factor is is am I as good as that person? am I as good if I do the veneers? am I as good as those leaders up there and how much education do I need? how much live education do I need right and I get I get all that so now imagine launching a product that you would take your intraoral images and you do your digital or traditional scan and you send it to a lab. The lab then pulls up your pictures and through their software, through this proprietary software, it shows you exact templates of what the patient could look with this edge, longer teeth, shorter teeth, different angulations, And you and the patient are picking this, this is crazy. So you pick the smile, patient comes in, and now there is a prep guide with a specific cam piece. And now you're prepping the teeth to the exact guide within 50 microns of accuracy, 50 microns. So do you have to break through the contacts? Do you have to, how much tooth do you remove? This Mm -hmm. is all AI software driven. So now the patient comes in, you prep that day and you deliver that day because all the final veneers are already returned back to you in a template tray that you can cement them all in the template tray all at once. You can take them out of the template tray, try them in, try different types of try-in cement pastes. And, and literally prep and deliver the same day, guided with minimal preparation techniques. I think that will take a beginner and move them right up the scale to becoming so much more confident
1: and so much more efficient doing veneers. You want to keep going? You're on a roll, man. I don't want to interrupt you.
2: I'm just saying <laughs> the, the, these. Are, okay, I'll give you another one. Perfect. Okay. Dental monitoring and now Align Flow, and they're changing their name. So Invisalign is a brand, but aligners are storming the market and they're going to... Yeah, there's there's hundreds. Right. Right. So now imagine, Sonny, you do your cleanse check or whatever, you design the case and you deliver your first set of aligners. Now... Then the patient comes back and the assistant or the dentist, they deliver the next set and then the next set and the next set. Where these technologies are going with their visual aids at home, you will be doing teledentistry. And so what will happen is that if the aligners are fitting each, every two weeks, three weeks, you're monitoring them at home. These patients are not coming in. And so now, as long as everything is fitting and you're monitoring the patient online with their own images, so you can see everything fitting, the patients don't have to commute. In Chicago, it could be an hour each way with traffic. And now the dentist and the orthodontist who we interviewed, he said he is working seven less hours a week and doing more tele-ortho. So now every Invisalign patient or aligner patient you really are just going to basically deliver and then bring them back for final evaluation. And I think openly that's going to streamline aligner flow and how you're doing aligners. And that's just another typical way of how we're going to be more efficient in our practices. And openly, if you were selling that in your practice for an extra $100 for the treatment cost or whatever, and you told the patient you're not going to have to come in we're just going to set up two week intervals and I'll take 10 minutes. What patient wants to get in their
1: car and come see you? Yeah, no, not many, not many. So they don't want to do it. They don't I don't want to do it now.
2: <laughs> right. So I see those technologies and so many more coming that to me, it's all based on predictability and that's where AI and all these new software coders are just going to make our lives I'm telling you, far more predictable.
1: Fantastic. So I'm I'm gonna wrap it up at that note there. So Okay. Final question I have to ask you. I ask everybody this, and this is a fun one. So nothing to do with dentistry. If you could go back to anywhere, any place, any time, where would you go and why? Um are you asking
2: me like I can go back at any time or anything else?
1: Anytime. You can go back to dinosaurs. You can go back to last week. You, you can go back wherever you want. You can go to any point. You can go back to talk to Ben Franklin. You can do whatever you want. Yeah, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I don't want to go into
2: the era of pre toilets and all this other stuff, <laughs> if you ask me. So openly, I would. And, and I know this is going to sound crazy, but I think most viewers would relate to this. I would like to go back in, in time to be with my parents and their friends and their generation and absorb so much of what I missed pre Grand coming into the world. I'd love to see what they were like in their 20s, early
1: 30s, what, what 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 time is that? But but ballpark. What, what time is it? The thirty-four.
2: I would say that would be fifties and early sixties.
1: Okay. A, a really birth, birth, birth of rock and roll, the whole
2: thing. The whole thing. The whole thing. It, it's just a different era, but I, I would go back to that time frame. I certainly don't want to go back to wars and crises and all that. Now I. I mean, look, we miss our parents when they're no longer with us. And I I wouldn't want to go back and be in high school again. I'd like to go back and see what they were like.
1: (laughs) That's a perfect answer and a great way to wrap it up. All right, Lou, my friend, as always, I appreciate you very much. Love talking to you. We could uh, go on forever. In fact, we should think of a topic and do another one real soon because this is a lot of fun. I enjoyed it i sunny i'd welcome it because next time i definitely
2: want to talk about uh, our in-office plans and how we make them a home run
1: yeah yeah and i started with that because that was thing yep. that was that was that's what connected me to you immediately yep. yeah yeah
0: 100
1: i get it all right thank you
2: thank you pal we'll talk soon
0: thanks for listening to the fee for service dentist podcast if you would like to share your fee for service story please fill out our contact form at ffsdentistry.com. Also, be sure to join our fee-for-service dentistry Facebook group. For help starting your dental membership plan, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com and membershipmastercourse.com. Finally, for help with in-house financing, visit dentalfinancingdirect.com. And don't forget, your story is what you make of it. This is your name on the door and your reputation online. the Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time.